Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Lakeside. We are thrilled that you would be here with us today and that we get to worship God together and uh, to connect with each other here in community. And uh, today we are continuing in our four-part series through the book of Romans on, uh, on missions, global missions, and, and the importance of, of taking the gospel to the whole world and, uh, and how uh, God is moving throughout the world and has called us to participate in what he's doing. And missions has been in the news uh, lately, as Peter has been bringing up each week, how with the Ebola virus and the missionaries who, who gave of themselves to go and help with that virus, contracted the virus and came back to the States. And um, praise the Lord, seeing uh, the testimony this week that they have been declared healed from that and are doing well. But uh, many have have given of themselves to go on the mission field uh, where it doesn't make any sense to the world why those would give of themselves to go to another country. Uh, But as believers, we believe it is our job to take uh, the word of God to those. And so we are supporting three uh, missionaries in in our barbecue next week, Reach. Uh, 2014, uh, and I'm not quite certain which order they are. I'm going to look back and cheat. So we have the um, the Hardline Ministry in Haiti is a new ministry that we are participating with this year. That we're going to they uh, help those uh, in uh, in Haiti who um, need help with uh, the young ladies when they find out they're pregnant. That they help them through all the the prenatal care to through delivery and help them get started in a healthy way. Then we also have the uh, the um, I was going to say the Sobies, but we've got Steve and Heather Holsenbach, who are uh, dear friends of many of us who actually attended here church years ago and uh, were both uh, working in the medical field here in Akron, have given up their jobs here in Akron to go do medical missions in Mali and, uh, and how God is using them over there. And then the Sobies are in the Ukraine. Uh, and it's just an exciting time where uh, we get to partner with them as uh, we see Scott was actually a, a pastor here uh, not too far from here when he got the call to go to the Ukraine on missionary, uh, to be a missionary. And it's just those who we get to partner with and see God take the gospel throughout the world and, uh, and reach uh, across this world to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there, it is with them in our mind that we want to prepare for next week to, to give to the ministries that God are doing. We, we want to give, uh, reach is one where we go above and beyond what we typically give as a church to missions to really bless them in some specific project that they might have. Um, and we selected just three uh, missions to give to because we want to give uh, a sizable sum which will really make a difference in the ministries that they're doing. And, uh, and so next week, come out and uh, have some really good food, good fellowship, and, uh, and give to a very good cause, the cause of the gospel. Today, uh, we will be looking into Romans 10, and, uh, and our title for the, uh, the sermon is Unless, and this is a very good chapter, and it's my job not to mess it up. So let's uh, open up to uh, Romans 10, and I believe it's on page 946 in the Bibles provided for you. I'm going to read through the, just the first 17 verses of this chapter and spend some time looking uh, at what God has for us today. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who, who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so today our, our, our message is, how are they to hear unless someone goes and preaches the gospel? Unless we do what we are called to do, there are those who will never hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jack Wurtson once said, he's the founder of Word of Life, said, it is the responsibility of every generation to reach their generation for Christ. And, uh, and, and as we think about the responsibility we have been given in the gospel to take to the world, to take to others, to tell them who Jesus Christ is, we can only be certain that someone knows the good news if we ourselves have shared it with them. Are we participating in the spreading and giving of the good news so that they may hear? And as we turn to Romans 10 and look at Paul's desire that begins right, right in verse 1, where he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We see um, that Paul himself is one who understands the importance of uh, being transformed as an individual into the image of Christ to be part of the mission of Christ. And uh, just a, a page over in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul here is describing what happens to a believer when you choose to follow Christ. When you trust Christ and you are a born-again believer and have become part of his family, you become renewed and transformed in your mind through the scriptures and the working of the Holy Spirit. He makes you alive. He transforms you from death to life. And, and then as you grow in that, it says that we will know what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as we begin to understand the will of God, we see God's will is for us to be partakers with him in the ministry of reconciliation, taking the gospel to the world and helping others uh, to find out who Jesus Christ is and uh, what God is doing. And so before... Um, one more point as an introduction. I just think if you flip back a page to, uh, to Romans 8, I think it's important for us, if we're a follower of Christ, if we have been transformed and been made alive, um, that we should remember what exactly that means. And, I, and just a few verses in Romans 8, as I was uh, reading and preparing and listening to this passage throughout this week, I, I was just like, 
if we could understand where we stand before God and get this message here, um, it transforms us for this mission, for us to reach and, and to, to take the gospel to others, both in our community and around the world. And, and beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, if we just stop with that verse, I think we have some amazing truths to be able to stand before God and, and, and confidence saying there is no condemnation for those who have trusted in the name of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ today, God is not going to judge you. He is not going to hold you and condemn you because the wrath of God has been poured out in Christ on the cross. He has paid that debt for us. But then it continues, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Once again, we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he sets us free. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And what this amazing truth of God raising us back to life from the dead uh, spiritually and giving us the freedom in Christ to live and, and to forgive us of our sins so we can stand in confidence and have this hope and this life and this uh, joy that should be flowing through us because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, that we did not have to earn God's favor, but God did it for us. And as we see that the, the law was weak and that we could not keep the law, we could not live in perfect fulfillment Uh, to please God, but God did that for us in the person of Jesus Christ so that when we come to God, we can be transformed and excited about what he's doing. So so back to, to chapter 10, we need a transformation of our desires. When it comes to world missions and the desire to take uh, the gospel to others, we need uh, to be transformed, as Romans 12, 2 says. And, uh, and this desire that we should have is a desire for compassion for the lost. Paul says right here in 10, 1, that he desires that they might be saved. His desire is that they might be saved. And if we consider Paul's own life, his testimony, his transformation... And uh, we won't take time to go back to Philippians 3 and read uh, Paul's transformation, but Saul, then who becomes Paul, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a zealous man for his religion, and he was willing to persecute the church for his... for his beliefs, and he was very zealous until Christ met him on the road to Damascus and radically transformed his life. And, uh, and his zeal went from, from pursuing uh, the Judaism to then pursuing Christ and then to, to reach those for Christ and to go throughout all the known world at the time to reach Christ. And his transformation was so deep and so rich to see his desire for the lost. 
um, just a, a page before in Romans 9, we see how much his desire for the lost has shaped him and drove him. In Romans 9, verse 1, it says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had this understanding that without Christ, people are destined and headed towards hell. And he was willing, if, if it could be possible for him to, to be cursed to hell so that his brothers and sisters would come to Christ. He had such an anguish and sorrow of desire for them that they might know the truth. And then Francis Chan, on his reflection of this passage, he, he, he asked the question, have you ever been surprised at how little you anguish for the lost? And when he said that, it convicted me very deeply about how, how, how much anguish and sorrow do I have for those who don't know who Jesus Christ is? How much time do I even spend thinking about those around me who, who aren't believers, who don't know Christ, those around the world, that when we see uh, the natural disasters and the wars around the world, are we first to, uh, to think of, oh, we need to send uh, political aid or we need to send the military in? Or are we thinking, there are people dying and destined to hell right now because nobody is going to share the good news with them. And so I have a, a few points on how do we develop a heart for the salvation of the lost what should we be thinking that will cause us to have a desire similar to Paul where he would say he sorrows and anguishes deeply and that his desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved? And, and the first point I want you to, to think about to develop this heart of salvation is that, one, God desires all to be saved. God wants people to come to repentance. And Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That's the promise of judgment to, to come and to restore all things, to set all things right. The, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then in Ezekiel 18.23, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God's desire is that those who don't know Christ, those who are living uh, in, their, in their sins, that they would repent and come to life. He wants all to come to salvation. And so we have to remember that God desires all to, to know this truth. And then we also have to know the value of those who need to hear. We should remind ourselves that every human being on this earth has been created in the image of God. That means they have value, they have meaning. It's why we believe in the sanctity of life. That's why we want to promote the flourishing, the human flourishing, because everybody has been created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, he created them. And uh, and so it's very important to think of them uh, as our fellow humans who created in the image of God. Now, there is um, some who say today, that all humans are the children of God. And this is a popular thing that Oprah might say or others say, um, but that's not what the Bible says. Not every human is a child of God. Only those who trust in Christ are adopted into the family of God. Only those who know Jesus by name can say that they are the child of God. Uh, and, but everybody is in the image of God. That image, however, has been marred and stained by sin. And that we are all tarnished and cannot reflect who God is because of our sinfulness, but that image can be restored through Christ. And that is the message that we have to take, that the people we see 
um, and hear about in the news, they have value. They are loved. And when you go to, um, to them and you have that opportunity to meet people across this world and you see just how beautiful and special they are and, and how much they, that they don't know and the, the joy to be able to bring to them the, the truth of being created in the image of God. I think of the time that not too long ago I got to go to the slums of Nairobi, Kenya and to talk to some people who had no understanding how valuable they are. Some of these kids were just tossed out at birth by their parents and never given a second thought. Brian was a young man who uh, I spent some time with who was twice rejected by his parents. The, the group we worked with found him and rescued him and brought him into the, in the refugee camp. And, and were, their goal was to try to find his parents. They found them and they, they, went, they were so excited to take Brian back to his parents. And they're like, oh, we didn't lose him. We left him. We don't want him. As a matter of fact, we don't want his sister either. Just take them. And, uh, and they, take, they took him back to the orphanage, and I met, met Brian, and he was just like, why does nobody love me? Why am I, you know, why, why am I, I have no meaning, I have no value. And to be able to just take that young man and just tell him he is loved, that I love him, and that there's a God in heaven who loves him. You know, that there is something so transforming that, that cannot be understood when we just hold these truths to ourselves. But these people have value, all humans have value, and they need to know this. And then we also have to remember that we who have been rescued ought to be part of rescuing others, to take the, the, the good news to them. Jude, in verse 20 and 23, says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, and save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And this importance that in order to develop this desire for people, the lost, to be saved, we, we need to remember that I was once rescued from sin. I was on the path to hell. I was dead uh, and, and, and dying and, and lost without Christ, and he rescued me, and now I want to shout the good news. I want to take that to those who need to know it. And so we need to remember God desires all to be saved. We need to value those who need to hear. We need to um, remember we have been rescued, and we need to stop and think about those who are lost. We need to remind ourselves that there are people around us dying and going to hell. Greg Steer, uh, the founder of Dare to Share, the teens, like, we, we like to go to this conference every year, but he um, said he was challenged by his youth pastor to go to the local mall and to sit in the mall and, uh, and watch people. But imagine on their forehead, just a little sign said, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. And he said for the first half hour sitting there, it was just kind of a, it was just really hard and distracting. It was just, there's funny people at the mall. And he, you know, just all these things that caused him to, to be distracted. But then he said, about a half hour into it, it started to hit him. And then he started to see that, that these are souls that are going to hell. And it broke his heart, which led him to pursue a life, to start a ministry, to train up teenagers on taking the gospel to their friends. And we have to see the people around us that, that are dying and going uh, to hell. But we are so busy, we get caught up so much in our, in our lives and in our struggles and in our day-to-day that we, we don't stop and consider the spiritual need of those around us. So we need to stop and realize that. And then keeping the reality um, that eternity is at stake, to always remember eternity is at stake, not, not just um, my time here, not just this life, but all of eternity. And then lastly, we need to love Jesus 
and as we love him, his desires become our desires. Roman, I mean, sorry, Psalm 37 forces, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The truth is that when we love Jesus, he conforms our hearts and our desires to his heart and his desire, and his desire, his heart, is for the lost to know him and to be reconciled to him. And so then again, Paul says his desire and his prayer to God is that all would be saved. And so we have this need for the transforming, transformation of our desires, but then we, we have the message that we have been entrusted with has the power to transform the world. And in Romans, uh, back in Romans chapter 10, he begins to say in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteous to everyone who believes. So, question is, why must we go? Uh, why must we go to the world? And number one in this, these verses, we see they have a problem. They have a problem. They are ignorant of the righteousness of God because they're seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They are seeking a righteousness from the law, yet no one can keep the law perfectly. They are seeking to earn God's favor. And uh, James 2.10 says, Forever, who, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So I think we'd all agree that we have this innate human desire to try to participate or earn God's favor, God's right uh, to, to make God happy with us. If I just do enough good, I do more good than the bad I do, then God's certainly going to be happy with me. That's, that's what the, the, the human desire is to do, to show that I deserve God. And, and the thing is, nobody can do that. We are all sinners. We all fall short of, of God's glory. He also recognized here that the people are genuinely zealous in their beliefs, but they don't know the truth. They are ignorant of who God really is. We must, be, we must go because their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. Their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. They do not know the truth. They do not know who Jesus Christ is. They do not know the way to salvation. So we must go because they are headed to hell. And then why we must go? Because Christ is the goal. And verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. This is, Christ is the goal. He is what everything is pointing to, and he is a, a, everything that we could desire and, and culminates in the law is in Christ. He is the goal. We must go because in Christ, the gospel is powerful enough to save them forever. Their knowledge of God now will send them to hell, but the gospel will save them forever. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Christ being the goal is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 11 through 14 says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend uh, to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. As Moses wrote De Deuteronomy, he is setting the stage for Christ to come. He say, it's not something that you can, you can ascend and go get yourself. It's not something you can go across the sea and bring back, but it's something that is very near. And as we, as we look at the law, 
And it starts there. He says, this commandment that I give you today is not too hard for you. I mean, if we look even at the Ten Commandments and realize that the Ten Commandments, only 10 of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, he says, this is not too hard for you. And it becomes very clear that he's not talking about, I mean, the, the, the fact that the law isn't hard, that if any one of us looks at the Ten Commandments and says, uh, I, can't, I can't do this, this is too hard for me. And then when you take what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says it's not just not doing something, but it's also the hard issue behind it, we really see, I can't do this, this is too hard for me. But what he's saying is, God is providing a way that's going to be very near for you, and he's going to write this on your heart, and it's in Christ that he fulfills the law and brings that to you. And so it is seeing that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, that he fulfilled the law in complete, uh, complete satisfaction to what God would have, and then he went to the cross and died died and shed his blood for our sins, and that God was satisfied with his uh, atonement, and he raised him from the dead, showing to us that, we, that God has been satisfied and that we have a future hope of a resurrection, and that anyone who placed their faith and trust in him now has the same, um, has the righteousness of Christ in them. And so he could say in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And this is some of the, the greatest verses that we can go to to show someone the way of salvation, how to know that they are saved, that in trusting in Christ, to believe in your heart and to confess it with your mouth. This is that as you come to Christ, it's something that so radically transforms you that you just can't keep quiet about it. It has to come out. That when you get so excited about something, that you just, you just want to shout it and tell other people, oh, guess what I did today, or, or guess what I get to do next week. Or When you get excited about something, you talk about it. But when you see Christ for who he is and what he was willing to do for you, you realize that you just can't contain it. You have to shout it. And that's what happens when Christ transforms your lives and he writes it in your heart. See, salvation isn't ethnic. It's not a social class. It's not cultural. And it's not based on our works. But it's based on the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It starts in our hearts and then it flows out through our mouth and it it becomes evident in all of our life and everything we do because we have been transformed. Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This idea that whatever is on the inside is going to work its way out. It's going to come out by what we say and what we do. So confessing that you believe in Jesus is, is to believe that he is who he says he is and he will do what he promises to do. Joel 2.32 says, And it shall come to pass that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The confidence is that we have in believing in Christ is that he says we will be saved. And it, it, it means this, that we say God is the only God, not a God. Jesus is the Lord. There are no others that it is an exclusive relationship with God, that there is no competition. And so as we see that um, the message that we have been entrusted with has the power to transform the world through telling them who Jesus Christ is and, and then believing it, then we also see the mission of the transformed to the world. And then verses 14 to 17, it again says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
The amazing truth is this, that, that God in his sovereignty has chosen us to participate in his ministry of reconciliation. That for some reason, God has said, not only do I want to invite you into a relationship with me, but I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to go out and tell others. I want you to, to have this opportunity to share with people who I am and watch them become transformed. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians five nineteen and 20, it says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, it is just an amazing thing to be used by God to share the good news with someone and to watch them receive Christ. Today I'm standing before you because of one opportunity when I was 19 years old that I shared the gospel. Um, not very professional-like, didn't really know what I was doing, kind of stumbling over my words. Um, and really, literally all I did is, I, if you know what the Romans road is, it's a, it's a great tool for sharing the gospel, but I, I just opened up to the first verse and said, would you read this? And they, they read it, and I said, what do you think that means? And they answered, and I was like, okay. And I put it into another verse and said, what, do we read this? What do you think that means? And I just went through each of the verses. And I, I, today I have the problem of talking too much. Then I wouldn't say a word. Um, and so, but then at the end of it, I was like, is this something you'd like to do? And she was like, yes. And I was like, really? <laughs> She's like, yeah. And then we prayed, and she prayed and cried out to God to forgive her. And she, she looked up with tears in her eyes and said, you have to come back and tell my son he needs to hear this. This lady was an 81-year-old Hindu. All her life, she lived in Hinduism. And for the first time, she heard the gospel and the power of God to transform her life. But the thing is, in sharing that gospel, it transformed my life, saying, I don't want to do what I thought I wanted to do anymore. Instead, I want to pursue Christ and tell others about how they can know Christ. Before that, I was planning on, on going, and, and I had my own plan. I wrote out my plan for my life, and I, w- I had all these ideas and, and visions. And at that time, God changed it and said, I have something else for you. I want you to tell others about who I am. And so uh, in sharing the ministry of reconciliation with others, it changes you. So in these last few verses, we see we need people to send missionaries. This is one of the reasons why we do uh, reach. We need to raise funds to send missionaries. We need to help those who are called to take the the word of God to those around the world have the means of getting there. Even Paul himself needed help and support in his ministry. And uh, I'm always amazed by the heart behind the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These people were were struggling. They didn't have a lot of money, but they wanted desperately to be a part of the work of God, not not just in their own hometown, but across the ministry that Paul was doing in here and, and helping those back in Jerusalem. But we see that this desire to first give themselves to God and then give themselves to those who are taking the ministry to the world and to participate in Paul. 
uh, with Paul's ministry. And we need to send missionaries. We need to, there are some who are called to be senders, to, to be uh, here making money and participating and sending people on the mission field. But we need also people to preach the gospel. We need them to go and to preach. Now preach here, when he says preach, this isn't um, get up and in church on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon. Uh, This word here is to proclaim, to herald, to to shout out, to declare the moving of the king. And I found it very interesting, um, not too long ago, here in northeast Ohio, there was a hustle and bustle and a lot of so-called gospel proclamations of the return of the king. Uh, LeBron James is coming back to Cleveland. He will finally give us a title. Look at what's going on. Even in the last week, love is coming. Oh, look, all these declarations of good news going out. Uh, interesting, the, the, the Greek word was used primarily exclusively for talking about the moving of the emperor. That when the emperor would move, that they would declare good news the, the emperor across Roman Empire was going to go and move, do this or do that. And, and so when... when the New Testament writers use this same word to declare what Christ is doing. It carried a lot of weight of the gospel, the good news of the moving of the king, not LeBron James, not the Roman Empire, but King Jesus is coming. King Jesus is on the move. King Jesus has done something so significant that it will transform your life and transform your world. And that is something that we need to, to consider that when we talk about the gospel, we're not we, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We shouldn't be scared to talk about it. But think of all your friends and family members all across Northeast Ohio that couldn't stop talking about LeBron coming back. And the excitement there, that, that's just a fraction of how we should be, that Jesus has done the work of salvation. You can trust in him and be forgiven of your sins. You can be reconciled to God. You can have a future life with God forever. And that we, uh, we have this community called the church where people come together to celebrate that our king is alive and he will return that this is what we get to declare, and we need those to go across the world to proclaim this message. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know enough to transform the world. You don't need to go off to seminary and get a bunch of degrees and and say, okay, now I can go tell the world. If you can tell someone how they can trust in Jesus Christ, you can transform the world because it is the power of the gospel that transforms the world. So we need to send we need to send people. We need people to preach the gospel and people everywhere need to hear the good news. All across the world, they need to hear the good news. Do you realize that there are 6,500 people groups in this world that still have yet to hear the gospel? These are the unreached people group. There's less than 2% of a witness to to over 2 billion people across this world. Less than 2% and, and two, I think it's actually 2.8 billion people, uh, but there's less than a 2% witness in, the, in those people groups, um, that there are so many people that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. There are so many people that live across this world that, that need someone to go and take to them the gospel. I, find, I always find it interesting to realize that in less than 150 years, the Coca-Cola company has successfully marketed their product across this globe. And I've been in a lot of different countries, and I'm always amazed at where I've seen uh, Coca-Cola ads and, and, um, and seeing, like, even some places, there's just out in the middle of nowhere, there's just a little Coca-Cola booth where you can go and get a cold Coke somewhere, and it's just like, seriously? How do you do that? That and cell phones. But um, <clears throat> I read on the Coca-Cola's uh, website, says they have, you know, marketed and are being distributed in over 200 countries. 
And then with a little further study, I, I began to laugh because on the World Atlas website, it says there's only 195 countries. So <clears throat> unless you count Taiwan, then there's 196. And I'm like, well, if they're marketing it in four countries that don't exist, so they're very successful in marketing. Um, <laughs> but Coca-Cola has only been around for just uh, under 150 years. The church was planted 2,000 years ago, and there's less than... 70% of this world has heard the name Jesus Christ. What is Coke doing about a silly drink product that will do nothing but give cavities and uh, cheap satisfaction for about you know, 10 minutes and you want another one? It, it, is, it is doing nothing for people. But the, the, the news of Jesus Christ will transform this life and eternity for them. And the church has sat back and allowed 30% of this world to not even hear it yet. What are we doing about that? that we are called to take the gospel to the world. Verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That we need to go out and declare the word of God so that they can hear the word of God, so that they can trust in Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in, Judea, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. The, the truth is this, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God has given you the Holy Spirit. The power that rose Jesus Christ up from the dead lives within you to help you go out to have the power and the authority to take the message of Christ to this world, both where you live and in your surrounding communities and across this world to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And I pray that some of you God will raise up to take you all throughout this globe to reach people with the gospel and that some of us will be praying and sending you to go and do that. But God wants us to participate in what he's doing, both where we're living in our community and our country and around this globe. What are you doing to reach this globe for Christ? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful and humbled by the fact that you saw fit to send your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, Lord, to, to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law, to go to the cross on our behalf, Lord, and to rise again, offering uh, forgiveness of sins, freedom uh, from the consequences of sin, Lord, and a reconciliation with you, Lord, the hope that we have. Lord, we, we thank you that you also saw fit to us to call us into this, this ministry of reconciliation, that we can participate with you in spreading this good news to the whole world. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those today who, even as we, we are talking and listening, Lord, that your spirit might have been telling them that you've called them to go somewhere to share the gospel, Lord, that you might put a desire in their heart to, to go to another country, to go to one of these people groups that have never heard. Lord, I pray that you would continue that work in their life, Lord. I pray for, for many of us who you've called to, to send them, to encourage them, to equip them to go. Lord, that we would be a church that, that participates in the, in the ministry all throughout the globe, Lord. We do think of... Uh, Stephen, Heather, and Scott and Oksana, Lord, and we think of the new ministry in Haiti that we're participating in, Lord, we do pray that you would continue to do a mighty work, Lord, and that your gospel will go uh, out in power there, Lord, and that we would just continue to see your goodness and kindness uh, transform lives all across this globe. In Jesus' name, amen.